0: Hi, thank you for joining. This is Tom Tyndale. Hey, this conversation is an incredible conversation. I believe it will change your life. It'll change your perspective. It'll draw you closer to Jesus. It'll stir your soul for a greater ministry engagement with some of the the hardest and the most lost people on the planet. This is a very mature conversation, and due to some of the the content that's in this conversation, I would really discourage you from having children presence when you're listening to this. Um, bring them into it when they are mature enough and it's the right time. This is a conversation that is well worth your time, and so without further delay, let's go ahead and get started.
1: I would say um, she doesn't get into it, she's kidnapped. She is basically snatched out of her home um, and sold into a different state altogether, or sometimes even a different country, and she has no idea where she is and how to get back home from there.
0: At EFM, we recognize that the local church is inseparable with the impact of the global gospel, and it is our desire to connect the local church to a global field of impact. Welcome back to the EFM Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Tyndale. Well, today on the EFM Podcast, it is a real privilege to have a fellow servant of God who is working in rescue ministry at one of the uh, very needy cities in the world, and we're, we're giving him the pseudonym Randy. I've met Randy a couple of times, and he's, a, he's another one of these guys that is incredibly passionate and he's just uh he's kind of combustible. Uh when you, when you get around him you get this sense of of excitement and you can definitely see the the spirit of god working in him and through him and that just sort starts to to set fire in a good way to to the the area around him. And so uh, Randy has been working now with rescue in red light areas and Boy, he's got some incredible stories, and God's been doing a great thing. And so I'm really, really honored to have this time to spend with you, Randy. So welcome to the podcast, and um, looking forward to this conversation.
1: Hey, thank you, brother. Thanks for having me over. I uh, am really privileged and uh, blessed to be here to uh, talk about how great God is and what he's doing uh, this side of the world.
0: Well, thank you. So just... Let's go ahead and get started and tell me, what uh, what is the story of how you got into what you're doing right now?
1: Yes, so I was actually a student in the West studying and also simultaneously working. And uh, one of my passions was to work with young people, but it wasn't really, you know, the. I think the whole wanting to be rich and, and uh, living in the West was a big dream. And so I was working on that. And um, I attended this church that was just sold out, going outside of schools in the nights and just praying for schools, for kids who were addicted to drugs, you know, just praying and uh, talking to people on the streets. And um, one time I was invited when the pastor was working on visiting, uh, you know, women who worked in strip clubs and, you know, just giving them some goodies. Uh, for Christmas, and just sharing the love of Christ. And it was a big, you know, uh, I haven't seen anything like that before.
0: So you're saying that the ministry of the church was to reach out to the strip clubs and kind of a a mercy ministry, compassionate ministry to the...
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's
0: some good ideas right there.
1: Right. And I was shocked because my background was very orthodox and very different. So just the idea of something like that was, I couldn't fathom that. And so I questioned the pastor saying, uh, well, there is a good side to this, but don't you think this could also lead people in the wrong direction? And, you know, I had my own questions. And the pastor said, this is nothing. We even go into the brothels and, and share the love of Christ. <laughs> you know? and, wow. uh, I said, that's just wild. and um, But that got me thinking. You know and and so they the church was working directly against human trafficking I learned a lot about uh, how human trafficking happens what is human trafficking and how people are snatched from their families and um, sold into different countries and are working as slaves and uh, have lost every hope of hope for life and you know they are basically um, Used And sometimes, you know, uh, if their customers, if they don't have enough customers, if the the person who bought the girl or, you know, for the dawn that she's working with, if they figure out she's not bringing in enough profit, then they just decide to, you know, kill her and then sell all her organs. And I'm getting exposed to all this oh stuff my. and I'm hearing all these things and saying this, this can't be, is there, is there really an industry that's doing things like this and getting rich off of it. And so that's where, you know, when I was in that city, in that particular church, they were reaching out. They were saying, this is, as a church, this is what we are here to do. You know, bring light in darkness, bring Jesus to the hurting. And this is what it means. I can't sit in the church and say, attend Sunday morning. They are captives. They can't go to church. So, I but we, the church, can go to them, we can take church to them in that situation and show them that that is all, and that just blew me away.
0: Well, you're that's blowing a lot of people away already with just this story, but you know, that's really the image that Jesus gave us in Matthew 16, where he says, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell. And so, I know we say this all the time from the pulpit. But you really got to live it out, and you really got to go to find the gates. And boy, that's gonna that's gonna take you to some really dark areas. The gates of hell are not a nice place. Right, you're
1: absolutely right about that. And so when I came back to my hometown, you know, um, and this was a, a long process, and uh, I had a call from the Lord very specifically to move back. And um, it was a difficulty because my flesh wanted all the comfort I could get and make all the money I could make and just live the dream. But, you know, um, God has God had his own plan. And uh, in his time, he uh, orchestrated things in such a way that I would be able to move back home. And when I did come back to my city, I got married and we had worked out details of you know how we're we going to move back, and there was so many of my plans to be honest. And then, but when I'd come to my city, there was one of the organizations that was working with human trafficking that had come to our church to do a fundraiser. And uh, here they are talking about human trafficking being such a huge issue. They're giving all the statistics. You know, thousands of girls being kidnapped every every month just in my state. And girls from the age of eight and above, you know, and the uh, the ages between eight and twelve was the biggest demand. And I'm sitting here in a in a church service listening to all of this and saying, this can't be true. And I know this to be true, you know, where I was working and the way I've heard those things. I've been with the church there, but this can't be true here. Is this really real statistics? And so I approached the guys after the service and said, guys, what are you talking about? And then, you know, there was a big aha moment like this is actually happening right under our noses and we don't know about it wow and so yes and so uh that's when you know that that night i couldn't sleep that week was just rough uh, a lot of questions about what am I supposed to do with my life? And so my, me and my wife, we had a lot of conversations. Are we supposed to go back? Is it just about us making money? Is it just about us? I mean, nothing wrong with making money, but, you know, is there is there a purpose for us? Why are we here? You know, and so many questions came up. And um, that week, things got more clearer and clearer that we were in God's timing, in God's place, and there was so much leading of the Holy Spirit in this direction. And so that was kind of the start, you know, after listening, after being in the church service and saying, there is a huge need in my town, in my city, and what are we going to do about it? And everything from the previous church that I was in, the church being the light in the midst of darkness, the church going out and reaching to those that are battered and wounded and literally hopeless, And uh, these things came up and uh, so we talked about it and we said, so let's do it. And a few of my friends got together and we prayed about this and we said, um, can we take basic items for women um, in the brothels, right? Like, so if there's, Uh, what does a woman need to uh, personal hygiene, anything, you know, she wants soaps, uh, she needs a pair of slippers or whatever it is, you know, because most of the clothing that they have is just for the night and then it's all taken away and then they have whatever they came with. And um, so we wanted to help them out. And the only way to do that was to actually go and pay money for prostate time and and be able to meet her, you know. (laughs) So it kind of, started there and when we did our first few meetings i had a lot of questions because it was a lot of money for just 20 minutes they tell you it's an hour but they don't let you stay there for an hour it's only 20 minutes at a time and then they start knocking on your door and like get out you know and so when we were there the first time with my friends it was bad because the people oh you, go, you guys want to go two people in at one one time and it was like it was just bad Mm -hmm. but you had to take all that and get in and then you know have a conversation with them say we're not here to do what usually customers would do but we're here to talk to you to see if you have a need and we found out that these girls work in 24 hours they work 11 hours a minimum every night oh my and so it's funny the very next day my wife and I in our morning prior we're reading through proverbs 24 and proverbs 24 11 is basically talking about you know uh, redeem those who are being led captive or, or led astray to the slaughter and and i'm saying wait tw- this is these women are led to the slaughter they are captive and um, in 24 hours they're working 11 hours and proverbs 24 11 is directly telling us, you know what I mean? And we had another God moment of, okay, there's, there's something here that we should look into.
0: And by the way, I don't know if you're going to get to verse 12 or not, but our, our listeners, you can't read verse 11 without verse 12. Without
1: reading 12. Yep. I was going to just say that next year. Go for it. <laughs> yes. So uh, 12 says, If you say, Behold, we do not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? So that was that was the big catch for us, you know, saying, sure enough. I'm not sure. Should I do this? Should I not do this? Should we rescue those who have been taken away to death or not? You know, and then it's like, look, there's this is straightforward. This is just there's no you can't say now I don't know about this, God's giving you the word. So That happened on a Wednesday morning, that Wednesday evening, we were back in with, it was me and another brother, this girl had asked for some specifics like soaps, brush, toothbrushes, paste and all this kind of stuff and some women hygiene products. And uh, she was, I knew she was testing us to see if we were real, if we were really going to bring her stuff. So we were back in that night and we had 20 minutes. So we went in, we said, look, we are here to be friends with you. This girl stops me and she says, you just pay the equivalent to a, of what is a hundred bucks. And she said, um, that's a lot of money. Why would you do, why would you risk everything? Money, your life, and come in to give me the stuff. And it just jumped out of it without, without a, you know, without even thinking for a second. It just said, uh, these words came out of my mouth saying, if Jesus was here, he would do this. And she looked at me like, "That's that's crazy. Why would Jesus come to a place like this? Wow. He's he's a God man. He's he's a holy. You know, uh, he's did. Why would he come to a place like this? And so I pulled out my phone and I was like, "Here's some scriptures about who he was friends with, and you know, if he was here, you'd be his friend." And and I'm just going off with what I know from the Bible and theology and the love of God and and I didn't even look at her because I was looking at my phone and looking up all these scriptures. And I look up at her and she was weeping. Wow. And I just, that that just like, it didn't make sense to me because I wasn't, in, it, I didn't give my punchline in my sermon. You know, it wasn't like, I, I didn't give the touching story. I was just talking about Jesus, this man who loves, and he, he was known as the friend of sinners, which means, you know, alcoholics and prostitutes and... And she, that really hit her.
0: So let me let me just kind of compliment here for a minute, because you know what you're saying. A lot of the, the the listeners to this podcast are they're really nervous at this point. And to be honest with everybody, I'm kind of nervous too. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, uh, as I'm sure you were at that point. Yeah. But we have many times this picture of holiness that is this concept of a white shirt it's clean it's pure it's separate and the last place you take a white shirt to is to a spaghetti dinner yeah because you're afraid it's going to get splattered and it's going to show up really bad yeah but the image of holiness it cannot be separated from self-giving love and that image of holiness is is also a fire and a fire is not Afraid of the dirt. Yep. And so when we see Jesus, he's going as the most holy man that's ever walked the face of this earth. And as you've rightly pointed out, he was the friend of tax collectors and sinners, the worst of the worst. He wasn't afraid of besmirching his holiness because his holiness goes to clean things up. Wow. And so if that holiness is living inside the lives of his church people, we should have the same character and the same passion and the same power. Yes, sir. To reach into the darkest, filthiest, most rotten, stinky places with the power of Christ in holiness to clean them up. So, yeah, it, it there's good reason to be nervous. This is not a hero type of mentality. No, and I'm sure we'll get back to that in a minute. But holiness works, and Jesus is real, and transformation happens. So let's.
1: Keep our faith in Jesus and follow where He leads. So, Amen. Keep going. Yeah. So, and, and I agree exactly what you're saying because that was at that moment my eyes was open to that because until then uh, that was my mentality too because those were questions that were in my mind as well. You know, should I be here? You know, I'm I'm uh, ordained to be a pastor. Should I be here? Am I I'm leading a church? Should I be here? And there's a lot of questions. You know, that does come until that moment when I looked up at her and she said, I've never known that about Jesus. Wow. And she said, yeah, she said, I've never known that about Jesus. And in my mind, I thought he was a, he was a God that sits in the shrine, you know, to to this, to you said he was, he was out doing all these things and that's in your holy book. (laughs) You know, it's like, it just rocked her world. And she was our first friend. That was, that opened up a door for us to talk to her about his love and, uh, open my eyes to see. And I told my friend, I said, that was church. What, what happened right there? Did you feel the presence of God? It was like, God was in the room.
0: You mean you tell, you're telling me you felt the presence of God Yep, in a, in, the brothel. in a whorehouse yes, sir. in the brothel. Yes, sir. Oh my goodness. I, I
1: kid you not. And that's, that's what, you know, when we came out, we had to sit in the car and repent saying, man, Here we are sitting and thinking we are bigwigs, we are pastors, we are this, we are that. And uh, and you and I didn't go there because we are passionate. Jesus took us there to show us how he loves and how fierce his love is. I mean, Jesus was a man of no reputation, you know, because my friend and I had the biggest fear. Uh, What if somebody pulled out their cell phone camera and took a picture of us coming out of this place? You know, <laughs> we that would wouldn't look at <laughs> That would uh, that would be the end of our churches. That would be the end of our ministry. our family. It's just you know. And um, we started saying, but but man, Jesus didn't. Those thoughts didn't come to his mind. He was, Jesus was one mile outside of hell, plundering hell, you know, and filling heaven. And that's that's just you know that kind of set a fire, started a fire in our hearts after that. And so we started to say, we're, we're going to these places. We're going to take the love of Christ there. we're going to, you know, in every kind of a way, wherever you know, I, as a church, can I grew up in church, you know, I was born in church. Um, and uh, so, so the mentality was, this is how we do it. And all of a sudden God was breaking all the stereotypes that I was used to. And to now saying, I'm, going to be a carrier of God and wherever he wants me to go, I'm going to go. And so while we were there, you know, and made a friend out of this person and we started to have conversations, she started to basically, you know, trust us, educate us about kids between eight years and 12 year old kids that are just dragged into this thing and our lives are being destroyed.
0: So let's let's spell that process out just a little bit. You talked about sometimes they come from foreign countries, but now you're talking also about minors, they get dried. How does how does that start?
1: I think there are multiple ways how this all starts. One, I know there's a big superstition about, you know, little children before they come of age, if a a wealthy man wants to live longer, you know, he can he if he gets an intercourse with a little child. His apparently his age, he gets to live longer. He gets longevity as a blessing. That's a that's a sad superstition. Wow, that's a hideous thought. Yes, and there's other there's other uh, superstitions, belief systems where it, talk, it talks about blessings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I also think, uh, and there are studies to prove this, pornography has a big role to play with this issue, because I think, um, I don't know exactly, it might be even Howard that uh, published a study about the three stages of pornography. And when somebody gets first exposed to it, uh, they're just watching, you know, the regular, a man and a woman in intercourse. But then when that gets monotonous and boring, you know, the dopamine levels are not as it was the day one when they first got exposed to this, they start looking for something more graphic. And this is when they're getting into the second stage, which is, you know, let's just say violent pornography, rape, porn, and all of that. But then when that gets monotonous and boring and the dopamine levels are not as the same on the first day they got introduced to it, the third stage is, as the studies show today, is child pornography. And when people get into child pornography, they're watching it. And it's just like how James says, you know, your sin is it's conceived as a thought it's it starts as a thought so through their eye gate they're watching a, a little child on screen and when they're seeing this thing you know it's it's triggering something desire in their heart and everything that goes through their eye becomes a desire in their heart is now acting out is now fighting to become an experience in their life
0: so let me just let me just also throw in something here because i know the country that you're referring to where a lot of this happens our our listeners when we have access to the internet uh, especially on the cell phones it in 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 america it's a very premium price uh in the country where you're talking about the internet access is virtually unlimited we're talking about multiple gigabytes per day yeah that you can get at less than 5 US dollars a month so that means that they have access to all sorts of filth in an unending stream and the consequences of that are far beyond the brothels it is it is a weekly if not bi-weekly story in many papers across that nation of stuff that happens of horrible atrocities because of the the pervasity and of, of porn itself yes this is a big deal with the church. Are the only ones equipped to speak to and and i remember um i'm sorry i'm on a tangent for just a second but
1: no please go ahead
0: i do remember a couple a couple of years ago i read a newspaper article and one of the officials of the state said well we're trying to look for uh the, the right answer to these minor on minor rapes and she immediately dismissed the possibility of dealing with pornography. It's like, that's just not gonna happen. Mm. And my heart broke looking at that. And I said, uh, you are the blind leading the blind. This is absolutely stupid. Yeah. The government is never going to be able to address this issue. It has to be the church that speaks to these
1: issues. Absolutely, because there's no answer out, uh, other than the church out, out there.
0: So, so I wanna go back to the, the question if I could. We understand the problem from, from the man's side that, that is so corrupt that desires this kind of stuff. But how does an eight-year-old girl even get into that? Why does she get into that?
1: I would say um, she doesn't get into it. She's kidnapped. She is basically snatched out of her home um, and sold into a different state altogether or sometimes even a different country. And she has no idea where she is and how to get back home from there. So I I spoke to a nine-year-old one time and I asked her, got in the room, paid, you know, whatever uh, amount for her and uh, had about half hour with the girl. And uh, she locked the door and I was like, listen, I'm here to talk to you. I just want to understand what you're doing here. And she basically told me, she said, I'm working. So I said, explain that you're nine years old. Explain what is work. And she says, so one of my friend at such and such a place, w- you know, washes dishes for somebody and uh or does some yard work and she gets so much money, uh, and she gives that to her mom and dad, and she thereby helps with the situation at home. And so I'm doing this, and uh she calls the pimp her uncle, and she says, although he's not re- uh, he's not her relative, she says, uh, uncle gives you know my salary, my wages. To my parents. Well, she doesn't know that mom has no idea where she's at, and the parents are looking for her. She's not even, you know, a thousand miles close to her house. That's how far she's away from her home.
0: Oh my goodness. So she whatever she just told you was a copied lie that the pimp told her. Exactly. Yep. And what does she think of her mother at this point? I mean, her 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 thought of her own parents are severely damaged through this this rotten evil.
1: Yes, well, actually for this girl, she thought her she was actually helping her parents. She thought, you know, by her doing this, because she had a younger sibling that was just about three or four years old. And she thought she doing this was actually helping feed that little baby and making the process a little bit more easier with mom and dad. And her. so I asked, so um, do you ever get to see mom and dad? And she goes, no, it's been a long time. I would like to go and see mom and dad. But uncle says, you know, it's going to happen soon. I just don't know when. So she's living in a web of lies.
0: Now, this conversation, as you're telling me, it sounds fairly perfunctory. Like, are there any emotions? Is she breaking down from homesickness? Or is she, where is she in
1: this? I think she has been so used to being there by then. There was no no real emotion, you know, in the sense... Uh, she did feel she, she missed her mom and dad. That was obvious, but she wasn't breaking down or crying. She was like, after you, I have another customer that's coming. So you have 20 minutes. So if you want to sit and talk for 20 minutes, we can do that 20, 30 minutes talk. But then I got a customer next, you know, so you can almost tell that she was so programmed. Uh, It was a very programmed life that she was living.
0: Well, Randy, this has been some really heavy stuff, and I I really appreciate the clarity that you're bringing to this because these are tough conversations that we really don't like to have. But if we're going to see the church make the impact, we we need to know what's out there and and how to address it. And, and I really appreciate your candidness on this. So, in all of this. I know there's a lot of people are asking, well, why can't, why can't she just walk away and leave and go find a, a women's shelter or,
1: you know, just run? Why can't she do that? It's not possible. Um, this is the, the most famously asked question. And I had that same thing until, you know, when we got in there. It's um, number one is fear. They put the fear when a girl is kidnapped, the first 10 days they take time to show her that even if the doors are open and she's not chained to anything, she cannot run. And why? Because one is there's nowhere to run because they have watchdogs that are sitting on rooftops and they have all information, all access at all times, and they can get her in no time. Secondly, it's threatening. It's blackmail. If you do this, we'll kill your mom. If you do this, this is what's going to happen to your family. Thirdly, girls have seen other girls being punished severely right in front of their eyes. And uh, when I say severely, some even when, you know, when they decide to basically end the life of a girl and sell all her organs for organ trafficking, though it was just a business deal and it wasn't, you know, they would still bring that girl and do some harm to her in front of the other girls to put more fear in their heart to show what they're capable of. And so there's multiple factors of fear and even exposure to the underworld uh, and what these girls get to see. Basically, that's why you know I tell people when you're in there, you'll see the most hopeless eyes in the world. There's no sense of hope at all. And many girls, you know, doctors tell us about. 14, seven to 14 years, many of these girls die because of lack of hygiene. There's so many different uh, STDs. There's all kinds of problems. And some of it is they get beat up, they get wounded. Sometimes even within the brothel, some customers are pay for that. We know a customer would pay money to walk in there and just beat on a girl. And one day she stopped him and she said, can you tell me why you beat me? Like, there's no reason why you should just come here. When people come here to have sex, you come here to beat me and just leave. And he said, it's because I'm married to a woman who is very influential. I hate her and there's nothing I can do about it. And so I come here to take out my frustration out on you. And then I can go back and have a normal life. Oh my! I mean, that's it's so stupid to hear. It's like, are you serious? Like that, that, that can't be true. You know, like when I heard it, I'm like, that can't be true. And the girl says, I got so many wounds to prove it. It's true. And uh, it's just, it's hideous. You know, some of these things that are happening there is unbelievable. You're like, I I can't fathom that. How do you live with that? But it's a organization. It's the underworld that's kept them as, it, that's what I'm saying. This is modern day slavery, you know? And so when you're in the brothel and you're talking about a man, Jesus, as, soon as you know, it's a man, the girls don't want anything to do with it. Sure. You know, until the presence of god is so strongly there and god the father is embracing them and suddenly you can see the change saying oh my goodness there's hope there's there's something that these guys are bringing and it's beyond just those packets of food and goodies that they're bringing to us and it makes all the difference and that's the church being in one of the most horrendous you know uh organized criminal organization just taking the gospel right in there and letting the gospel do the work.
0: So let's talk about the church. And that you said when you started this, you did, you didn't really want to do this. Uh, you were kind of slapped in the face uh, with with the reality, and then that was confirmed with another slap in the face from Scripture. This is this is a a very difficult, tough ministry to step into. And one of the things that I hear often when, when whether I'm talking about outreach to Rescue babies in the pro-life involvement, or cross-cultural ministry. I, I often hear somebody say, "Well, you know, I'm glad there are people like you, uh, but I'm not called to do that. It takes a special kind of person to do that." Right. I want to just ask you because <laughs> there are a lot of times where I don't feel very special, uh, but there's a job that has to be done. So you didn't want to do this, but you're doing this. So who can do this, and how do you get started?
1: Excellent question. So here's what really I think uh, God took me on this path to to rock my world and to break my, you know, patterns of thinking. Because I <laughs> I can relate to everything you just said, because I was right there. I was like, what's special about me? Why should I do this? Why should, you know, I would rather just prepare sermons every Sunday and every Wednesday for Bible study. And I'll just be a pastor, you know, doing this. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, but why this? And one day, just somebody posted this on Facebook about uh, some author wrote this as a part of his book on the kingdom of God. And, you know, and he talks about what does the kingdom do in this world that we live in in this kingdom that we live in? There's so much of evil. There's so much, there's human trafficking. There's, you know, brokenness. There's, there's all sorts of the effect of sin, the effect of fallenness that has marred what God so beautifully created. Right. And so now he says, let your kingdom come. What does that kingdom do? And this was the post. It says, when the kingdom of God comes, it brings righteousness where there's injustice. When the kingdom of God comes, it brings beauty where there is devastation. It brings peace where there is conflict, unity where there's division, forgiveness where there is sin, healing where there is sickness, worship where there is idolatry. The kingdom of God, through it, Christ defeats the evil powers, reverses the curse of the fall, gives fullness of life in places of death, and restores harmony to all creation. Wow, that's good. And as I'm reading this about the kingdom of God and saying, wow, so if the kingdom, when this kingdom comes, because I'm seeing the kingdom of darkness, I'm seeing A kingdom where there's brothels, where women are snatched out from their families, where kids are kidnapped and sold into different countries and different states. And I'm seeing all this as a kingdom. And then they are threatened. There's so much fear. The police system cannot help. It's just so much corruption. And I'm saying, but where this, it's talking about the kingdom of God, where that kingdom comes, there's righteousness, where there's injustice. And I was in there saying, wow, Isaiah 32, 17 and 18 says, the Practice of righteousness brings peace. There's so much unrest because of evil, but where there's righteousness, there'll be peace. There won't be snatching of girls from their families, there won't be missing, you know, etc. And where there's devastation, the kingdom of God brings beauty, where there's conflict, peace, where there's division, unity. And I'm as I'm going through this list, I'm reminded of what Jesus says the kingdom is within you. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that wasn't for anybody special. That was for the church. That was that was everybody that's following Jesus Christ. The kingdom is within us. And we pray the prayer that Jesus taught us, let your kingdom come. And I don't have to have all these bells and whistles to, to you know, manifest that kingdom, to, to do the work of that kingdom, to, you know, um, when I pray, let your kingdom come as it is in heaven, so be it here on earth and then so asking the you know holy spirit leading asking the lord so how do i do that work of the kingdom does it have to be uh, my ideology and what i'm comfortable with and what my limitations code or is it is it what you say <laughs> it's like it's like it's like the army you know being sent into another country they've never been to you know, but the commander says, or the president says you gotta go and we're gonna conquer and we're gonna do this, this, and the other. And they're like, wait a minute, we don't know one street in that country. We don't know, you know, what weapons they have. No, there are no questions asked. As soon as the mandate comes, they're up and they're going.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: You know, and it's and and when they get there, they manifest their kingdom. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, this is how it's gonna done. We're gonna fight terror, we're gonna fight not, And that's what I believe for us. Uh, Ephesians 3.10 talks about the manifold wisdom of God being revealed to this present age, the principalities and powers of this present age, and the manifold wisdom, the power of God through the church, he says, right? And so, so we, the church, being able to, to go into places like this, we don't have a plan, we don't have an idea, but we know he does. We know he knows what he wants to do there. And just being where he wants us to be, at the right place at the right time, in accordance to his perfect will. Hey, the kingdom of God. Uh, you've carried the kingdom of God there. It's not about what I know. It's not about my ability. It's not about my education or what I, how I. It's not even about you know. Have I done an MSW? <laughs> you know, say I don't need a a. Uh, I don't even need a background in social work, but but uh, it's God's world. It's God's children that are being um, slaved by the enemy. And when I think about human trafficking, here's what I think. I think, and I know a lot of people probably even agree with this, is the first human trafficker was Satan himself in the Garden of Eden. You know, and when you're going against human trafficking, you're going against... Uh, the work of the devil itself. (laughs) You know what I mean? He, He tried to, he trafficked God's children from God's family who were in absolute peace and harmony. And he used deception, just like how traffickers do today. Deception and lies and promise of a better life, et cetera, et cetera. And led them to what? Misery and all the whole effect of fault. So we, the church now... Are in the restoration business of what the devil trafficked. So when we are going after whoever it is, you know, it doesn't have to be a woman in the brothel. It can just be somebody at your supermarket, you know. And you just felt the Holy Spirit to to go and talk. And they're probably just depressed. They're probably dealing with loneliness and depression and loneliness. I tell you what, is an all-time high right now, right? And then, but but then they are trafficked by the enemy, and and kept. In slavery to those those prison of thoughts, you know, where they are not unable, they are unable to break out of it. And here you are with the kingdom in you that has the power to bring beauty where there's devastation and peace where there's conflict and unity and forgiveness of sin, uh, healing where there is sickness. And you know, hey, this is this is Jesus we're talking about, you know, and I'm reminded about Isaiah 61, where the Spirit of God upon him anointed. And what did he do? He set captives free, you know. And so, um, and if if that Jesus is living in me, and I'm going to these places, then what's what's happening? You know, no, whether it's the brothel or just my neighborhood or a school campus or wherever I am, I'm the carrier of the kingdom. Well, that's incredible. I love the the scriptures you've used, and
0: as you were talking about that initial quote about how the the kingdom transforms the society. I am. I was also thinking of Acts 17, where they were talking about, Paul, these men who have turned the world upside down have now come here.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, sir.
0: And, you know, that's exactly what needs to happen, especially in, in places of rampant devastation. So I really appreciate that perspective. You know, the gospel is not just a message so you can get over the guilt and feel good about yourself. And right and you know just kind of be the religious person the gospel is is meant to be very culturally broad as well as personally deep amen so i was challenged a couple of years ago by a church growth speaker who had a moment of honesty and he said i, I ask pastors everywhere is the community that you're pastoring today is it more godly than it was 25 years ago wow and he says, no matter where I go, nobody ever raises their hand. And then he said, well, how is that possible? And that's, that's the question. <laughs> you know, if we really dig into the word of God and we really experience the heart of God, well, that's going to be an awesome worship service. But that had better start to transform the gates of hell and turn the world upside down. That's where Jesus is going. So I'd like to talk about some of the, the methods, then, and then of course the, the products or the end result that we're we're looking to to find. Let's first tap on some of the methods you you mentioned. The first thing that you did was you paid the fees. You went with a guy, which I think is important. At least there was you know a witness and accountability. And I know a lot of people can say can complain about how dare you pay the pimp and. I know nobody likes that, but I like what he's doing better than what most of you are doing. So let's start there. <laughs> um, but but you you said, how can we help? You brought them hygiene, you opened up the conversation. So just tell a tell a story of walking through that process. And I know you probably minister to a lot more people than you're able to actually rescue. That's I'm a guessing part of the nature of the game, but yeah. Bring us through that process of rescue.
1: Okay. So when we go in first, you know, it, it is it is through that method where we post to be a customer and we are in there. Of course, you know, we have lots of teams that come after, you know, like when we go in first, we collect while we are there, we are gathering information about what the girl needs and how we can be supportive to her, how we can give her a break from that 11 hours uh, of just serving customer after customer because some girls are serving about 25 customers for one night. Wow. That's a lot, you know. And so if we are buying her 20 minutes of a break or half hour, sometimes we fight with them. Look, if you told me an hour, give me at least 40 minutes you know, and, let, and let her sleep for that half hour, whatever it is. The initial part is us bringing care and through that building a friendship where we are able to talk about Christ with her. But the second aspect of that is also us collecting information for other NGOs who are involved in direct raids. And they begin with investigation. We have been a part of raids with some NGOs.
0: Let me just give a point of clarity. An NGO is a non-government organization. And for those of you outside of the U.S., you know what that means, but that's not a familiar term for us. So for those in the U.S., it's like it's a nonprofit or or a social
1: agency. Yeah, So there are specific organizations that work just with the rescue aspect of it. And so there are some of those organizations we have worked in the, with in the past and helped rescue some girls. Like the nine-year-old girl that I was talking about, we've helped rescue her. And that was mostly just through our, our organization. But then the permissions, the legalization of all that happens when the other nonprofits get involved because they now have to get governmental permissions to conduct an actual raid and all the details of how that's done they have to deal with all of that but you know they're all again they have just so many volunteers that cannot really be exposed a lot into different brothels at the same time in the city so sometimes they very heavily depend on us to be the ones who go in to get all the initial stages of work done for them and so You know, I would say in a nutshell, there's not a lot of details that I can actually talk about, but there's in a nutshell, that's how the initial rescue is actually done. Now, once they rescue the girl, we don't know what actually happens, where the girl gets to go, because sometimes the government has these shelter homes where they bring the girls in for a year, sometimes two years, where they apparently they say they're going to counsel them and get them through a rehab and all of that because of the trauma that they've been through. Now, there's a lot of question there, you know, how all that's happening. Some of the nonprofits actually help the women go to different places to be able to go through rehabs and, you know, uh, to be able to cope with life and with the trauma that they have been through. But our goal is at least if we put our foot in, we're able to bring in the gospel uh, and give them the keys to, you know, recovery and, you know, coming to Jesus, you know, not just forgiveness of sins, but what I can do for myself, you know, uh, what science, medical science can do for you, Jesus is able to do. And we've we've had later on, after five, six years, somewhere, somehow we we met somebody and they would be like, hey, uh, you remember me? I was there and you talked about this man named Jesus. And we've had one instance of such that happened where she said, um, the biggest thing that helped me was, yes, I went through counseling and There were good psychiatrists that worked with me, and I'm really grateful for all of that. But just that thing that you talked about, how Jesus would get into your mess and make a difference.
0: Hallelujah.
1: Because there were things I could not even talk about. Every time I opened my mouth to talk about it to my psychiatrist, I would break down so badly that we had to end the session. Wow. But I could tell Jesus that. Uh (laughs) And I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's, you know, that's what it is. And she'd be like, yes, there'll be nights. When I just sat and looked out of my window and just told Jesus, do you know this night, this person, what he did and how it happened? And she's like, I could never tell that to a psychiatrist. And she said, every time I did that, every time I sat at my window, looked at, you know, through the night, just looked outside of the window at the sky and I spoke, it was like somebody took a big eraser and just erased that thing, that emotion and that feeling that." anger and that bitterness from my heart. Wow. And I'm sitting there listening to her and saying, wow, man, you know, I wish I could have those kind of experiences for myself. You know what I mean? This is, this is powerful. That is powerful. And it's true. You know, they've been through that. And, And so that's the biggest conviction for me. I'm like, yes, there's help. There's 12 step programs and praise God for all these great things that are out there but there are sometimes you just can't open your mouth to say some things because the sorrow, the pain is just so deep and so heavy. There is no substitute for Jesus.
0: Yes, sir. Oh my goodness. How, how long does it take from the first visit to a
1: rescue? We never know Yeah, that, you know, it's, yeah, it's just, sometimes it just never happens. The rescue never happens and We've been really puzzled about it, and we now know that you know there's just really big hands involved in it. And so there are, so it's, it's all kinds of things. It's, you know, it varies from situation to situation. And sometimes it's like the second time you want to get into the same brothel to meet the same girl, you're like, oh, there was a raid. Apparently somebody did a raid and she's no more there. You know, yeah. So it could be
0: weeks, it could be years, it could be never. Yes. Yeah,
1: But one of the things that we've also seen while we were in the brothels, where I'd just like to mention this also as a prayer request, is there are so many young men that are being used by this business, you know, um, to basically be watchdogs, to cart the girls from point A to point B, to do all kinds of work. They are basically hands and the legs of the pimps. They are doing all kinds of work for them one of the things we've identified in our city especially many many such young men who are being used by this industry and uh, they all come again from really you know difficult families financially struggling families they just want easy money and they either peddle, peddle drugs or get into human trafficking and it's easy money easy sex it's all kinds of things that the flesh is longing for and so they have been falling into that trap and we've identified a lot of young men in this and so we've started a program just 2020 was recently when we started the program was for such young men that we would offer them, you know, we found out that most of these young guys like soccer. So we approached them, we went to that area where they live, we found out where these guys live, and they all live in pockets of the city where they are, you know, just available to the drug, whether it's drug or human trafficking, whoever it is, you know, wants to hire, they go into these areas and pick these boys out. So we went to those same areas and and said, we're going to start a free soccer club because most of these boys have criminal records and they cannot really join a soccer club, you know. And so we said, we're going to start a soccer club and whether you have criminal record or not, you can join. And so they have been joining our soccer club. Uh, A lot of the guys come, we have free coaching. We have free soccer coaching. We also coach them how to speak English, how to read and write not just English, but even our local languages and teach them to do, you know, uh, what would be equivalent to the U S would be to do a GED and, uh, you know, just kind of show them the other side of the coin. You don't have to do crime to survive. You know, you can make a living even otherwise and help them see what human trafficking is and what's actually happening to these women and where they came from. And, uh, how things can be different if they would have the guts to step out.
0: So I want to I want to interrupt you just again, uh, just to to step in here. What I just heard you say is that that there could be opportunities for people in ministry who may not feel a call to preach or teach. Yeah, uh, especially in a church setting. But hey, God's gifted them with sports. They love to coach. Oh yeah. Uh, hello, <laughs> boy. Can. Can God use your athletic prowess in a vitally useful area of ministry? Well, that's a great idea. I want to talk to, uh, right now, there's a lot of people who they might feel a sense of uh, a, a call to full-time ministry, but they're very nervous about being what we kind of refer to as a full-time pastor. And so kind of the way up to that is spending the first five or 10 years as a, as a youth pastor. And you go into a comfortable setting a comfortable church and kind of work your way up up the, the the spiritual ladder if i can say that <laughs> uh, i want to i want to rock that system for a little bit and to say this is some really serious youth ministry and if you can come to a place like this and start a church even through the beginning of starting a soccer club i i bet you're going to see a lot more of an impact on the culture and upon lives than than what is typically available with, and don't take this wrong, guys, don't, don't don't misunderstand me, but pastoring people that don't need to be pastored as much as people that need to be rescued, uh, there's a there's a really great opportunity and, and a tremendous need for some attention and investment there.
1: Yeah, I agree 100%, because what we are seeing with the young men is we're not just rescuing women, we're rescuing young men from an industry that's waiting to destroy their lives Mm -hmm.
0: wow that's uh that is great so you're coming at it from from both aspects and that's that's needed you're dealing and and a lot of these young men they've got this even if they're not involved in the in the the marketing or the the trafficking part of it uh these are still going to be interfacing with other guys that are slaves to porn and they're going to want the services that their buddies sell yes sir and so the impact of the gospel can really transform a a whole community there. Yes, sir. Now, we've been talking about a lot of dirty stuff. We've been talking about the gates of hell, the belly of the beast, and this has been very raw. But if you're able to talk to me very personally, obviously the devil fights. Yeah. So tell me what it's like to be... a believer who's doing his best to follow Jesus and you you just stepped into the the, the throat of the dragon so to speak uh, how is how has the spiritual battle of this affected you and your family how do you stay spiritually on top of things and guard your home and develop and disciple your home and and then of course the church i'm sure is part of that how does that how does that look personally um
1: yes right from the get go it hasn't been easy the, the biggest fear was I know of so many organizations who have been doing work like this. And, you know, I know of men who fell. Uh, I know of, because you are in a very vulnerable place and you are in a very vulnerable situation. And there are times when, you know, I've been part of rescues where until a vehicle comes and picks you up, you're supposed to, you know, keep one or two girls you know in your possession in a hiding you know what i mean it is a very vulnerable place and there are there is temptation you know there is there is the flesh that's fighting against uh what's right and so you know my prayer right from the beginning was god i don't trust my flesh i can't i i don't know if i can do this and and stay holy and you know stay committed to my wife and stay uh, where one day i can look back and say by the grace of god you know i've not slipped and fallen but I don't know if I can do that because it's that's how hard this is you know and that's how vulnerable it can be at times but while this is going on you know one time I asked a very famous preacher in the U.S. and uh, I was in a meeting I didn't know that he was going to be preaching there and so I asked him I said you know I've just gotten into this six months into this work and my biggest fear Is What if I fall? So the preacher said, uh, you know, you've made it so much about yourself. You're worried that you'd fall, etc, etc. He said, um, if you could take your eyes off of yourself, just say, I want to see Jesus. I want to become hungry for him. I want to, you know, fall in love with Jesus. And said, when that happens, he reminded me of an English song. He actually sung it to me, and that's the first time I heard it. It says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, and when you look fully in his face, all the things of the world will grow dim. And it just sounded so theory cliche to me when he said it. And then I came back home and I was thinking through what he said, and I was reminded of Moses who had left, you know, 600,000 men. and all the children, wives and everything, and then he he went up on the mountain and he said, "I want to see your glory." And um, and God told him, "If you see me, you're going to die." <laughs> you know. And then the equivalent of that in the New Testament, without death, you can't see him. You know. And what needs to happen is there has to be a personal funeral every morning. You know, there has to be a a daily dying to be able to see him and the more you see him the more hungrier and the more you fall in love with him suddenly the things of this world the patterns of this flesh just start to grow dim and you you start to think to i'm not saying i'm perfect but there are times i'm i'm if i can be brutally honest there's times when i'm looking at those girls and weeping saying once upon a time i was an addict and i was masturbating to this To now, I'm weeping to see what sin has done. I'm weeping and looking at this and saying, "I'm broken. I hate sin to the extent to see how it has destroyed lives, and it's right in front of me, you know." And so, what it does is that hunger for Jesus, that longing to see Him. You know, it's like they say in English, you know, "Show me a friend, and I'll tell you who you are." The more you're hanging out with Him, the more you are with Him. It just changes the very perspective, the pattern of that thought, you know, to once upon a time, I used to look at that and my flesh was all happy to now where I look at that and I'm grieving to say, look at what sin has done to what was holy, what God created as beautiful to be within the context of marriage and is destroying someone's daughter over that and is destroying someone's life over this. And it's, it's just, you know, it's one of those moments, God moments, when you're looking in Jesus's face and you're simultaneously dying to have that ex- continued experience of being with Christ. And those things that, of the flesh that were nice, that were releasing oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin once upon a time, and you loved that feeling, all of a sudden now is starting to fade away. And, you know things fall in place. And I, I think, you know, on the other hand, that's the work of redemption. That's the work of salvation. I'm saved, I'm being saved, I'm being transformed into the image like 2 Corinthians 3, 16 to 18 says, you know, by the spirit of God, is there's liberty. But when we start looking at him, we go from glory to glory. It, it is, is there temptation? Yes. Is there moments of fear that what if yes all those those things all the above yes it's there but I'll tell you what you know the bible the word of god is true and if your heart's not you know following after christ and that's why I tell people this is not social service this is kingdom work you you are you know working for the king you're you're at his court every morning you're looking at his face you're feeling his heartbeat you know, it's like one of the old movies, you know, I was just watching one recently, an old historical movie from my country where the king is sad, you know, Mm -hmm. about a certain thing that the enemy is doing. And one of his top dogs, you know, one of his top warriors is just looking at the king. And the one look from the king, you know, speaks volumes to him. He just turns, gets up and goes and then wins the wall you know what I mean he's like it's it's like that it's like David says I want a cup of water from Jerusalem and these guys are crazy enough to run through the enemy's territory you know what I mean it's like that's you know that's who we are we are looking at the king and we see if you feel the heartbeat we see what his passion is and his passion becomes our mission
0: well wow, that's incredible Randy this has been amazing and the answer to that last question was well worth the podcast alone. That is discipleship 101 right there. I really appreciate what you said about in order to see Christ there has to be a death. And for a lot of our listeners we come from a theological stream that emphasizes what what in our terminology is is called a full surrender. Yeah. And we encourage people to step into that and and I, and, I, and I, I, I hope every church does, and at some point they do, but that's a, a pretty regular part of our preaching and and meetings and whatnot. But you know, when you look at the consequence or the risk that's involved, that's really easy to get distracted and to be weighed down in the mire. And I really appreciate how you just brought it right up. The whole point of our walking with Jesus is to walk with Jesus. And sometimes we, we get to follow where Jesus is walking, and it's only as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus that we're, that we're going to be able to have that level of, of victory and assurance and security, so that was beautiful. All right, well, as we get ready to wind down here, I'd like to hear a little bit about your current trajectory. What are your, your goals and visions for the next, the immediate and outlying future?
1: Yes. So right now we are working on what I talked about, the young men, you know, bringing them in for coaching, teaching them how to speak English, uh, because if you know English, you can get good jobs. Right. Um, If you know certain languages, you can get good jobs. And that's that's just how our country is working. So and it's not just English. It's also a bunch of different other languages that can land you good jobs. So and even governmental jobs, I'm saying. So one of the things that we have done now is started a I would say like a, a college for a college for criminals. Wow! <laughs> but it's just for men who come from this background and it's only for men. And what we have done uh, now, we have a separate unit where we are, you know, helping women. If we get any women from the trafficking or if we, even if women are coming from a really poor family background that needs help, we have programs for that, you know, where we can teach them a trade and things like that. But for our young men, right now we are teaching not just languages, but also GED, and also we're teaching some skills. So some of them, if they have a criminal record, they cannot really get a job. If it's, it's a really bad criminal record, they are supposed to be in jail for 12 years, etc. Or they just came out of jail, you know, getting a job can be very, very difficult for them. So in that case, we are teaching them trades like welding. We're teaching them trades like carpentry, electric work, civil work, how to do construction and basic things like that. But at our current center, it's a challenge we have. Right now, we are teaching carpentry and electric work and welding. These are the three that we've been focused on. We also teach them how to drive a car and because if they learn how to drive a car or a truck, that It's another job they can easily land. So this is something that we're doing along with basic discipleship every day. So I would say, you know, the immediate future, what we're looking at is we've already applied for paperwork to get it all legalized, a legit college, just focusing on this category of people. Our prayer would be, we need a center. We need, you know, all the grants because there's big aid for this, even within our own government. You know, so we need that kind of aid to launch what we want, what we're looking forward to launch. And the reason why I'm saying we need a center is because we're looking into wanting to have a residential school. So the young men leave their area because they belong to many gangs and things like that. Many times what we've found out is when, we, when they go back after our session, some of them get beat up because they came to our session. Some of them are in trouble because of the choices they are now starting to make. So what if we can... Kind of like kidnap them from their society, from their gang, and take them away, you know, for six months or a year and bring them, you know, disciple them, bring them uh, skill sets that they can learn, whatnot, and then relaunch them into the society, maybe even a different city, God knows, you know, uh, however God wills that to be. But that's kind of what we are looking at right now. And by doing that, you're really cutting off a big man force for this industry. Okay that's that is great.
0: Now I I'd like to to point something else out. Part of discipleship, I mean Jesus was talking to the church to make disciples baptizing them into the name which is a trinitarian formula that is reflective of the community of God which is obviously reflective in the church. A lot of times in hostile situations where there's a where there is a strong community of sin that is one of the biggest reasons that people don't get saved because they look at that and they say, well, if I claim to be a follower of Jesus and I go back into that, I'm going to get beat up or I'm going to get ostracized. I don't know how to make that work. And that is, you know, what you're talking about, transplanting them into another community where they can be discipled and they can thrive and they can see how a healthy, holy society works. That can give them a huge perspective That was way out of their league just, you know, a few weeks ago. So let me ask this. Is there a place for people listening to this podcast in the West? Is there a place for them to be involved?
1: Yes, I would say, number one, through prayer and secondly i would say even like what you were bringing up you know is there somebody that can be a coach you know is there somebody that can say hey i can teach this skill you know it can be welding it can be it can be anything
0: okay i want to I want to stop and i want to emphasize this because there i know there are people listening that that look at this horrible problem and say well what can i do if you can weld if you can put wires together and be a uh, an electrician uh, if you can teach somebody how to, how to drive, you've got a CDL. These are, these are what we would often refer to as, as blue-collar skills. And a lot of times, blue-collar people look at themselves and say, I just have a job. What do I do? And the answer is, hey, there's opportunity. You can really make an impact with the gifts and the talents and the abilities that God has given you to literally change a culture. Mm-hmm. So so you mentioned welding, you mentioned uh, carpentry. That was the other one I, I missed. So welding, driving, electricity, carpentry.
1: Carpentry, even music or right now photography. We're starting something with photography. We just did three days ago. Because um, if somebody does a photo shoot for a wedding, that's good income. Yes. You know, and so these are skills that we're trying to teach young men and they don't need to know any particular language to be able to read or write if they know how to hold a camera and take a photo. You know what I mean? Right. So any skills for that matter.
0: And so, so any skills. So listener, if you have a particular gift or skill that was not mentioned, why don't you just give us a call and let's start the conversation. Yes. I bet you, we could probably find a spot for you. Yes. <laughs> now there are security concerns. If you do want to respond, we encourage that the first step is to reach out to us by sending an email podcast at 4EFM.org, podcast at 4EFM.org. And we'll go through a bit of a vetting process and make sure that things are safe and and gonna keep uh, Randy and, and things there on the right track. But if God's talking to you, and I know for many of you, he is, you need to get down to the computer or open up the app on your phone and and just send it right now. And we'll start that conversation and, and start praying and see what God can open up. Randy, I'm gonna ask you in just a second for closing. Closing thoughts, closing words. We've had a a great conversation here. But before I do that, one thing I want to point out to our listeners, one last thing, is we're talking to a guy who has been saturated with the scripture. And I know there's a lot of people looking for direction and you're trying to figure things out. The scripture is where it starts. And you have to be saturated in the scripture. And if you are saturated in the scripture, it's going to come out it's going to come out just like it has been sprinkled through this conversation where certain scriptures just start coming to life. And as you saturate in scripture and then follow Jesus into the place of ministry, you're going to see a lot more scripture come to life and make sense in ways that you never knew. Like, wow, that passage was really there. That's what it meant. Once you start walking with Jesus to the gates of hell, I've seen this happen many times. It comes to life. And so I want to thank you for using the word of God, being faithful to the word of God and just following the word of God. That's where it's at for the great commission. Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So as you walk through, as you obey, scripture starts playing itself out in your flesh. And it's an incredible, incredible experience. So brother Andy, thank you again. What final closing words would you like to offer?
1: Thank you so much. That was powerful what you just shared. And yes, I would say the kingdom is within us, guys. So whoever's listening, we don't limit ourselves by what we know about ourselves. We have the Holy Spirit living within inside of us. Think of the early church and how God used them so powerfully. And the gospel over the last, what, 2,000 plus years, still against all odds, with all the opposition that it has had, with kingdoms raging against it, hasn't been put to silence because there were people who said, use me, Lord, if you can use anything, here I am. And, you know, God has made history with their lives. And so it's just one life that we get to live. will soon be passed. And like one man of God said, what we do for Christ is what's going to last. So I encourage you, don't give any limitations. This one life that we have, what the Lord has in store for you, turn every stone, you know, find out what he has for you. Make every moment count and let's plunder hell and fill the gates of heaven all for his glory and his praise. Thank you guys.
0: Amen. Thank you, brother. It's been an honor to be with you. Look forward to hearing what else God is going to do, and, and working together as uh, as soon as we can get
1: together. Lord bless you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate the time. Much love.
0: Hey, Tom Tyndale, back with you for a quick update. Since we recorded this podcast with Randy, uh, his father has actually passed away. And so I sent him a note as soon as I heard about it, letting him know that we're praying for him. And I thought that our EFM podcast family would like to also... Uh, send your prayers and condolences along. If you've been blessed by this episode and the uh, the ministry that Randy's done, you're welcome to send me an email. And once we have a few to collect and compile, I'll send those all together to him. So if you'd like to send him a note, feel free to email us at podcast at 4EFM.org. That's podcast at 4EFM.org. Thanks again for listening and for subscribing and sharing. And above all, thanks for what you're doing to advance the kingdom of God and to reap the harvest in your field of ministry.